who's brought our word. Just welcome Sue. Thank you. Fantastic. That's, that's before you speak. <laughs> yeah, let's just pray for Sue. Lord, we just want to thank you for the gift that you have given Sue to take Scripture and to open it and to share it to all of us, Lord. We just pray that you will fill her with boldness to speak out what it is you've given her to say. We pray that you will give her confidence that comes not from her own ability but from the Holy Spirit. But Lord, we also pray that our hearts are softened, our ears are opened, our minds are made alert, that we can hear what it is that you are saying. But Lord, give us obedient, teachable hearts so that we're not just hearers, but that we do what it is you tell us. Bless her and bless us, Lord, as we hear from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Graham. Right, as most of you know, this term we are looking at relying on God. Last term it was listening to him, and this term it is relying on him. Today's specific title is Reaching Others. It's reaching out and telling others about the opportunity that is there in Jesus. And we're going to look at the passage initially, 2 Corinthians. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to it. I'm going to read it anyway, so if not, don't worry. But we're on chapter 5, verse 11 through to chapter 6, verse 2. So no solitaire and eyes down. Right, this is titled The Ministry of Reconciliation. And this is Paul that's writing to the Corinthian church. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain in God. And I hope it is plain to your conscience also. We are not trying to, command, uh, to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who's died for them, and who was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, 
In the time of my favour, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. Paul, in this passage, is still answering accusations from his enemies. He's talking about the ministry of reconciliation, restoring, reconnecting people to God. I'm going to cover this chapter in four areas. Motivation, method, ministry, and message. If we look at the beginning part of the chapter, it says, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. That would motivate some people, and I'm sure it does motivate some people, to fear, to, to, to fear what's coming. The reality is we all know that on Judgment Day we are accountable to God. We are accountable for the sins that we have committed. This perhaps opens up the thought, are we accountable for the things that we have omitted, the opportunities that we haven't taken to reach out and tell somebody about what's on offer, about Jesus, about the fact that everything they've done wrong can be forgiven and that they can live with the Father in eternity, in glory, if they just have faith in Christ. When I read through the passage, though, for me, the main motivation was the motivation from the heart. Paul knows about the future promise, but for him, he is seeking to please Christ here and now. I think Paul knows that a life service isn't just gauged by the results, that actually it's the motivation, it's where it's come from when you reach out to people. Paul says in this passage, and he recognises, that the same love that is motivating him to tell people about Jesus was the love that took Jesus to the cross. In effect, he recognises how much Jesus loved, loves people to do that for them, and he's kind of reciprocating it. If we look back at verse 13, Paul says, If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you, for Christ's love compels us. He has this desire. He seeks to please Jesus now. He's possibly answering an acquisition there, going back to Acts. In Acts, there's this chapter called Festus, um, and in um, chapter 26, verse 24, Festus accuses him of uh, losing it. And, and I'll, I'll, quote, I'll read the scripture. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. And he says, you are out of your mind, Paul. Your great learning, it's driven you insane. But Paul is saying, no, I'm not mad. I'm doing this because I've got such a love in me that I can't, I just, I have to do it. And I thought about it and I applied it and, and I get it. When I first met Mark, um, BC, before children, and we were both working full time, I'd come back from the bank and if I came, finished early or if I knew he was in a management meeting late, I'd drive past his house on the way back to mine and I'd jump out of the car and I'd slap post-it notes all over the front door. And to any of his neighbours, it would have looked like I had gone insane. 
the reality was I'd like to look really clever and say they were covered in scripture or Shakespeare, but they weren't. They were covered in lines from songs, pop songs. But I had this desire to please him. And I could imagine him coming home from work and seeing them and after a trudgy day in a meeting, smiling. And that, was a, that desire, that love was a motivation. And it also reciprocated itself in the same way that it does here. I can remember coming back from work and the doorbell going and Mark pulling up, ringing the doorbell, leaving a box on the doorstep this way up with arrows and driving off. Now, to my neighbours, it might have looked like he'd gone a little bit bonkers. The reality was that, um, for whatever reason, I couldn't go out on that Saturday night, and I opened the door, and there was this box, Saturday night survival kit, and I took it in, and I opened it up, and there was some wine and chocolates and crisps and a television guide with circles around the best programmes that were on that night. But the motive... The, the motivation was from the heart and, and, and it was from love and that's, to me, that is the main motivation in this chapter and that is the main motivation for us reaching out to people out there is, is it's got to come from a real place of love. I thought of other motivations. Um, an urgency struck me and no matter what your thinking on the timing of when Jesus is going to come back and walk on this planet and visit us again and come back here. Whether you think it is imminent or whether you think it is in the future, for me there could be a sense of urgency. And God took me back to Genesis 18 and he took me back to the scene of Abraham and Lot. And Abraham is up on the mountain and his nephew Lot has moved away and he's moved down to the town Sodom and he's married somebody there. And God goes along to Abraham and he has a conversation with him. And he says to Abraham, the cry of their wickedness has reached me. My wrath will fall upon Sodom. And Abraham knows that Lot, his nephew, is down in the, in the town. And so understandably... He, he, he doesn't want God's wrath to fall on Sodom. So it's almost a bit awkward, the conversation, but he says to God, well, what if there were 50 righteous people down there? And God says, well, if there were 50 righteous people, it would be okay. It would be fine. I'd be saved. And then Abraham just pushes it a little bit, and he says, well, what if there were 45? And God said, 45, I'd save it. And then Abraham says 40, 30, 20. And he takes it to almost an uncomfortable, awkward point, and he says 10. And God says, if there are 10 people, 10 righteous people in Sodom, I'll save it. And the reality is that fire rained down and Sodom was raised to the ground. So from that we can deduce there weren't 10 righteous people in Sodom. The reality of the situation was Lot had walked life with Abraham for many years and Abraham would have imparted to Lot about God. He would have sat around the, the, the fire at night, talked about him, chatted, told him about the covenant, told him about the conversations he'd had, told him about the promises that God had made. Now Lot had married somebody, probably somebody worldly from the town, but if he'd reached out and told her about Yahweh, about, about God, about his provisions. He got four children, two of which had got married. If he'd reached out and spoke to those, 
That was eight people. Eight people in his home. If Lot had reached out to each next door neighbour, who knows, it may have been saved. It also um, points to me that little things make a difference. We could go out and we could reach out to a hundred people and only one person out of that hundred people might get the message to, to, to follow Jesus, to come and learn more about him. But that little bit can make a big difference. So my first point, motivation. I think the main motivation is from the heart, but there are other motivations. My second point, method. For this, um, Graham gave me um, Acts and Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch. And I'm going to read you the story. Um, And when I was praying over it, we have a club, um, a men's group that meet on occasional Saturdays next door at number seven and they pray on a Saturday morning and they say, you know, Lord, is, is there any, I've known on, on instances, because Alan said, that they've said, Lord, we're going to go out these doors, show us somebody we can tell about Jesus. And they've gone out and they've gone to the grass, castle grounds and I know that God has pointed out people and prompted them to go and pray with people. But I just want to read this story um, with regards to method. So this is in Acts. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, to the desert road, the one that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he started out. On that way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candrake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting on his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. Can you imagine Del, Andy, the other guys, Jez, you know, going out, going around the castle grounds, not finding anybody, going down St. Mary's steps, crossing the road and seeing somebody sat on a bench with a Bible, you know, after praying, Lord, point us to somebody, who can, who can we tell about you? Then Philip ran up to the chariot And he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I? Unless someone explains it to me. I mean, on a plate ministry. Brilliant. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand me in the way of being baptised? I mean, how fantastic would that be? You know, sat by the river, watching the ducks going by, and you need to be baptised. And the reality is, when I read that, um, it it spoke to me, actually, of miracles. (laughs) Um, But... The, the point is, if you walk down the high street and somebody has a T-shirt on, tell me about Jesus, 
sing that hallelujah chorus and go for it. But if not, Paul points out in Acts, if I can just jump back. Anyone in Christ, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. The reality is, quite often we witness by the way we do life. It's subtle, it's gentle. When, we, when we're born again, when we accept Christ and we invite the Holy Spirit in, 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 in older Bibles it was the Holy Ghost. Ghost means guest. We invite that guest live within us. We change. We don't change on the outside, but we change from the inside out. And that affects how we do life. It affects our integrity as to, you know, not stealing time off our employers, not putting in a petrol slip when actually we took our kids to hockey, but, you know, anybody else would pass it off as a business trip. It, all sorts of things. How we, how we do life changes, gradually morphs into something different. And people catch that. They might not be able to label it and say, that person is shining bright with the Holy Spirit. That, that person, there's a, there's a, but they, they, they can sense it, they can tell it. They might not recognize what it is, but they do recognize it. And that often is, in my experience, is a method of ministry. It, it, it's just imparting how you what you believe in through what you live that then gives you a license to talk to that person about Jesus. I've said it before, you know, it's, it's Christianity is caught, not taught. Actions do speak louder than words. So that was just my second point, really, was method. My third point was ministry. So I've done motivation, method, ministry. Paul says further on in verse 20 we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us Paul sees himself as an ambassador we are ambassadors he recognizes it's a privilege and he recognizes he's been commissioned from God we have got that same privilege we have been commissioned from God if that's the role that God's given us, then I think it's healthy to look at that role. Ambassadors. Ambassadors are chosen. Paul was chosen, albeit in a very dramatic way on the road to Damascus, but he was chosen. We've been chosen. Ambassadors are citizens of the nation that they represent. We are citizens of heaven. We're living on earth, but we are citizens of heaven. Ambassadors are provided for by the nation they represent. When we reach out and we do God's work, God will provide for us. He will be there. He will meet our needs. Ambassadors are instructed what to say. If you think of a TV um, announcement, whatever it is, the, 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 they're there and they've got their script that they, they've, they've been told exactly what to say. They, they know what they're allowed to, to tell. We've got our script. This is it. When um, I was looking at this, it, it, it guides you. It helps you. If you don't know what to say, it helps you. I, I felt drawn to Luke 10 because that's when Jesus is commissioning the 72. 
and just as a little insight that God speaks to scripture when I wrote this about four weeks ago it, it hit me for the first time in Luke 10 that when Jesus is commissioning the 72 and sending them out that he mentions Sodom and that for me was actually a personal affirmation that I should include it because to begin with I thought oh do I or don't I but that for me was an, I was being spoken to through scripture yes include it a sense of urgency is actually relevant Which brings me on to my fourth point message. This message is good news. This is Jesus on paper in words. The ultimate message is if we believe him, if we have faith in him, no matter what we've done, and everybody has done something, we are forgiven, we can spend eternity with God reconciled to him. That's the message. To take the veneer off it, to take it back to the crux, to the heartbeat of this book. This book is about God wanting his kids back. And I, and I prayed about it, and I walked and I prayed, and I walked and I prayed, and I walked and I prayed, and I said, Lord, you know, how, do, how do I convey the, 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 the heartache that you feel to want this to take place? And God gave me the picture of Madeleine McCann. And when Madeleine McCann was on television and she'd been taken, every parent, I think, in, that, in the nation, around the world, felt it. Because you automatically thought, what if that was my child? What must they be going through? I mean, pop stars sent loads, you know, thousands of pounds. It moved me that much, I wrote to them. But everybody felt it. And although it's a very simplified picture, that kind of shows a bit of the ache of God's heart for him wanting his children back. And a hypothetical scenario. Imagine that you were the same age as her and years later you grow up and um, your parents decide to emigrate. And you can remember seeing her on television as a child and due to job mobility we'll say you emigrate to South Africa and you're, you're years older and you go to college or uni and you're in that college or the, or the uni and there's a girl there called Sarah. You don't recognise, she doesn't look any different. And then as you get to know her, you spot her eye and it makes that connection back and you realise that her name isn't Sarah. And you know that she has a father and a mother who ache for her, who really want her back. They've given up their jobs, they've given up their careers. At every given opportunity, they've put posters in airports, they've handed flyers out in train stations. Their whole life, their whole drive, their whole motivation is to get her back. Would you reach out and say, you've got a father that loves you, you've got siblings, because although it's, it's, I know it's very simple, but that to me kind of conveys what our job is, what our role is, what as ambassadors, what we you know, to reach out, to reconnect people and say, do you realise you have a heavenly father who absolutely loves you and wants you back? Even the, even the bombers, he loves them, they're his children. He wants all of his children back. So to conclude, 
I've covered four areas. Motivation, method, ministry, message. People out there have an unclaimed inheritance. And the sad, sad, sad thing is they don't know about it, many of them. And the only way that they will know about it is if someone tells them about it. Years ago, um, I had a, a birthday card and our middle son, Howard, put this, this very nice coloured in ticket in it. And it said, you can get a cup of tea. Give this card to Howard Fenson, just in case I got the wrong Howard, and he will make you a cup of tea. I should have found it, actually. It would have been quite a cool prop. And um, when I was thirsty, I gave Howard this, this, this card and got this wet, cold, lukewarm cup of tea. But the point was, I knew I could claim it. This is spiritual food. And we need to feed people outside those doors and inside this food. This is the real stuff. This is the nutritious stuff. This isn't fattening. This is the real stuff. But people are feeding on substitute, food substitutes. They're feeding on materialism. Their desire is to acquire more instead of their desire being to please Jesus. Their desire, in some cases, is adulation. It's a better career. It's a better job. It's get, it, it's you know, get, get bigged up by the boss. Self-adulation, haven't I done well for myself? They're feeding the wrong desire, the right desire, the one that's nutritious, that's healthy, that's wholesome, is to feed, is, is, is the desire to, to, to please our Lord. It's interesting that when the prodigal son recognised his hunger, that was when he went home to his father. He was feeding the pigs and he said, I perish with hunger. And it was at the point when he recognised his hunger that he returned and repented. Paul says right at the end, in fact, the beginning of verse 6, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Grace is getting a gift that you don't deserve. It's getting something that you're not worthy of. We've got something that we're not worthy of. Jesus paid a fantastic price for us to have reconciliation with God. So I urge you as well, in the same way that Paul urged them, I urge you, don't receive in vain. Share the gift. Amen. Thank you.